Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. God, once again, we thank you for a day to come together as a family to worship you and to lift up the name of Jesus. And God, we're so grateful for your word. There's so many messages that we face throughout our our days. But we thank you, God, that your word stands forever. It is true and it accomplishes its purposes. And we ask right now, God, that you would minister to us, God that you would capture our hearts through the message of your word. We would not be deaf, but that our ears would be open to what you want to say to us. And may it not be for one day, but may we be people who are changed repeatedly through the hearing of your word. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, soon after I graduated from college, it was a few weeks later, that my grandfather passed away. It was about 12 years ago now. And um, even just preparing this message, just realized how much I I really miss him. And he was a, a dairy farmer in the good old state of Wisconsin. And he was a hardworking family man. And he had a tremendous sense of humor and a great wit about him. The day before the funeral, the pastor gathered the family together, and we spent some time just remembering his life. It it was a very special time, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears, just sharing memories uh, of him. I'll never forget one thing that was said. Um, One of my aunts uh, was remembering something that he told uh, their siblings uh, repeatedly throughout the years. He said the following, Do not... Dishonor the Arn's name. Do not dishonor the Arn's name. That's how you pronounce my last name. It's Arn's. It's been butchered so many times I'm used to it. I hear Aaron's, uh, Ahern's, you know. So don't feel bad if you messed it up in the past. I forgive you. Do not dishonor the Arn's name. My grandfather was imparting an important value upon his children. Honor the legacy of your family. Your life is not disconnected from your ancestors. You are part of a long line of people. And with your name comes responsibility and expectation. For some of you, your family background has set you up well to understand this idea. You get honor and family legacy. That what you do reflects on more than yourself. Each of us bears a family name that reflects a history, reflects certain values and a heritage. This moment has always stuck with me, and I believe there's significant spiritual carryover with this concept. For those of us that bear the name Christian, bear the name of Christ, who have been brought into the family of God through the redeeming blood of Jesus, There is a charge on us as members of this family. 
there's a, a privilege and responsibility to represent the name of Jesus. And in this text in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses the word ambassador to get after this idea. In verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And as, as I was looking at this text, one of the first questions I had is, what does it mean to be an ambassador? How do we understand this word rightly? Does anybody know who this lady is? I'd be awfully impressed if someone knew who this lady is. Rice, yes, yeah, Susan Rice. She is a modern-day ambassador. Her title is the Ambassador for the United States to the United Nations. She has been nominated by the President of the U.S. and her appointment confirmed by the U.S. Senate to represent our nation in delegations for the United Nations. An ambassador is a person who is sent out by a group of people or an authority to deliver a message or represent the authority in some manner. An ambassador isn't a puppet without voice or responsibility or freedom. An ambassador is given the authority to act on behalf of the person sending them. There's a trust and a power to represent the ruler and accomplish things on behalf and in their name. As Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's telling them, you are ambassadors for Jesus. And this whole charge applies to us today. We are modern-day ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are representatives of God, the one we serve and worship, bringing his name and his truth into this broken world. You know, I think about sports agents who represent professional athletes and have the responsibility of negotiating contracts and setting up the marketing plan for their player. For a sports agent, who you represent really matters. If you're representing the third lefty out of the bullpen, obviously your status as an agent is very minimal. But if you're someone like Scott Boris, this guy is, is big time. He's negotiated three of the $200 million contracts in baseball, $200 million contracts. It's ridiculous. And for Scott Boris, I mean, he's made a name for himself. And it's based on the players that he's representing. In a similar way, your status as an ambassador is directly correlated to the authority who you are representative. And Pastor Dave last week preached about King Jesus and the resurrection, the, the authority and power of Jesus Christ in this world. When we stop and think about who we're representing, the risen king, there is a weight, there's a sense of privilege. We have the greatest opportunity for being ambassadors in all of human history. When we start talking about representing Jesus in this world, we get into the whole concept of evangelism. And I think often when we talk about evangelism and reaching out to others, uh, we can easily go to a place of fear, a place of guilt, a place of I am a failure, uh, a sense of paralysis. I kind of think about when I'm driving along and there's a police car 
behind me. I actually have a very good driving record, I'll tell you. But when a, when a cop car is behind me, I go to this place of immediate guilt. What did I do wrong? Am I speeding? Is he going to pull me over? And that usually leads to this sense of fear. As long as he's following him, I am just kind of gripping the wheel. Am I the only one that does this? I asked Yvonne. She doesn't do this. Am I the only one? Okay, okay, I'm not the only one. That makes me feel better. When you hear the word evangelism, where do your thoughts and feelings go? Guilt? Fear? I think some of our guilt regarding evangelism is genuine conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I don't think we can ignore it completely. And I don't want to excuse our struggles or our failures. But I haven't met anybody recently that says, I really need to cut back on my evangelism. I'm doing way too much to make Jesus known in this world. Or someone who goes to their accountability group and says, hey guys, can you keep me accountable this week to not talk about Jesus too much to my friends? I think the agreed reality is we are all called to be and do more to make Jesus known in this world. I think that's a given. Again, I don't want us to take that lightly. But as we look at this text this morning and what it means to represent Jesus in this world, I want to focus on what we have going for us because of what Christ has done. This passage lays out some things that we need to remember that give us confidence and strength, that it empowers us to be representatives for Jesus Christ in this world, to make him known, to lift up the name of Jesus wherever we go. And the points will be brief, but I have four things I want to share this morning. The first thing is we have a new story going for us. As ambassadors of Christ, we have a new story to live for. In high school, I played tennis all four years. And our varsity tennis coach was a very tall man. He was probably 6'6", very lanky. He's a very hands-off coach. I mean, we go to practice. He would hardly say anything. He just kind of split us up, let us go play. Uh, he, he wouldn't really speak into our game. But I'll, I'll never forget one moment in particular, and it had nothing to do with tennis. I, I was with the coach with a, with a few other teammates, and he started talking about me to the other players. He started predicting my future. He was telling them how I was going to be very successful one day. I was going to marry a, a beautiful woman. That part he got right. And how I was going to really make it with the American dream. I mean, honestly, it was a pretty awkward moment. I don't think anybody said anything in response. But I'll tell you what. At that age, I was a prideful teenager. I was very quiet, but I was very proud. And he was feeding my ego. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, yeah, you tell him, coach. One day I'm going to make it. You wait and see. I mean, that point in my life, I understood what Jesus had done for me. But the direction of my life was still headed according to my plans. My goals were oriented around worldly success. And that's where I was going. And then in college, I finally understood and experienced what verse 15 says here. And he, Christ, died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. I know I'm not the only one that has experienced this. When Christ enters your life, when you enter into that life-giving relationship, you let go of living for yourself. And you enter into the journey of living for Jesus. It's no longer your plans, your vision, your agenda that leads the way, but it's now God's purposes that hold sway in your life. If our lives are a story, you embrace the reality that God is the author. You put down the pen and stop writing your own story. And you recognize God is the one directing and authoring your life story. And you enter into a new story, not for yourself, but for Jesus Christ. And the question I have for us is which story are you living for today? Are you living for the story of yourself or the story of Jesus Christ? I think we know there's great joy in embracing the new story of living for Christ. We begin to finally understand why we were made, why he created us. There's a sense of freedom. You begin to let go and you surrender control to the real author. And I really believe we can't forget that we have this going for us because of Jesus. We have a new story where we are no longer the main character, but Jesus Christ is. And as we look to represent him in this world, I believe the world is waiting to see the new story. That we would live a life centered in Christ. That we're no longer wrapped up in the ways of the world, but are, are living for the risen king, the one we represent. Another thing we have going for us because of Christ and what he, what he has done is a new identity. A new identity. As you might have noticed, I shaved this week. How many of you noticed? I'm just curious. <laughs> I've sported the goatee for a very long time. I mean, honestly, Ivana's known me for 12 years, and there's very few times where I have not had the goatee. She's having a rough week, honestly. She, she doesn't even recognize who I am. She feels like she's living with another man right now, like she's having an affair or something. For those who knew us before Jesus Christ, there should be a noticeable change in our lives. There should be a difference that God is transforming us. And Paul, this beautiful verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new creation is here. The new is here. The new creation isn't just a simple makeover. It's not a minor adjustment of our character or a little self-improvement. It's a bold triumph of the reign of God in our lives, transforming us into brand new people in Jesus. Paul is referring to something so big here 
The new creation refers to the consummation of all things when King Jesus is fully revealed in all the cosmos. And he's talking about this grand idea in the human life that encounters Jesus as Lord and King. When you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are changed forever. And this gives us a foretaste of what's coming when Jesus comes back. And yet if you're like me, the question might perplex you. Why don't we experience the new creation more? Why does it so often feel like the old is still around? I mean, scripture talks about we're in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And even though our identity in Christ is secure, one reason the old feels so present is that we still continue to battle the same lies that have tormented us all our lives. We have an enemy that does not stop assaulting us when we, when we become new creations in, in Christ. And I think of how often certain words hold power over us. And over time, these words become deep-seated lies that we accept as true. And we give them authority. These lies infiltrate your mind, you know, those little conversations that go on. And they tell of the old way of life that the enemy is trying to keep us trapped in. Maybe some of these words that I'm going to show you now are, are struggles that you are battling, words that have haunted you over the years. Words like useless, ugly, misfit, worthless, nobody, slow, guilty, outcast, loser. These words are not who you are in Christ. These things are not true of you. The old has passed on and the new has broken in. And we need to reclaim our new identity and who we are in Jesus. And let me tell you, there are new words that speak of the triumph of the new creation. In Christ, these are now our words. These are our identity. Words like chosen, free, precious, forgiven, known, treasured, gifted, desired, strong, beloved, beautiful, sought after, seen. As ambassador, ambassadors of Jesus, we have a new identity going for us. We need to embrace the new creation and continue to resist the lies, the old names that have haunted us. And as we enter into the lives of those who do not know Christ, we need to be aware there are so many words and lies that they are battling on a day, <coughs> excuse me, on a daily basis, they are often trapped and buried under the immense burden of the old. And only Jesus Christ can rescue them and bring them in to the new creation. And I think as we enter into their lives and we see these lies 
that they're struggling with. God will give us a burden for them. And the third thing is that we'll have a new motivation as we enter into people's lives. A new motivation. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. As ambassadors of Jesus, we need to recapture our new motivation. Paul writes that Christ's love compels us. It's not guilt or fear that will motivate us to represent Jesus in this world. It is the bounding love of Christ for us. It's the driving force for us to be his ambassadors. Paul writes here, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. The cross of Jesus reveals the great love of God for us. That while we were at enmity with God, while we had our backs turned and told him, we don't need you, we don't want you. He still chased after us out of love. And out of love, he did the unthinkable. He didn't just chase, but he took our place. He bore the punishment for sin that we rightfully deserved. And it's out of this love, the first love of Jesus Christ, that we need to live and represent him to others. I love the message paraphrase of this verse. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. Are you centered in the love of Jesus Christ for you? When we're centered in his love, we can become the true ambassadors he's calling us to be. I'm so thankful that our motivation is not guilt or fear. But God's calling us to be motivated by his love for us. And I think when we begin to experience more and more this great love of Jesus, he's going to well within us a new passion, a new passion to call people to know Jesus like we know him. To call people to know Jesus like we know him. Verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you notice, you know, a theme in these verses? A word that's repeated? You know, five times he uses this word, reconciliation, reconciled. Verse 18, God reconciled us to himself. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself. 
He committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, be reconciled to God. Maybe for you, when you think about reconciliation in God, you might think about it more in a transactional sense. When you think about reconciling a checkbook and making sure all the numbers add up. But in this passage, reconciliation is about relationship. Verse 18 says very clearly, God reconciled us to himself. It's a very personal thing for God. It's about his reunion with us, bringing back a relationship that has been lost. I think here we see God's passion, his heart for us as people, for all people in the world to be brought back to that right relationship with him. And then Paul charges the Corinthian believers through, through the authority of God. And he says, you have been tasked with the ministry and message of reconciliation. And this message is alluded here in verse 21. It says, God made him Christ who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, who was sinless and blameless and not deserving of death, took on the punishment. He bore the weight of our sin. He took our place and he took on the wrath of God that we were due so that we might become the righteousness of God. That we may be brought back to reunion with the creator God. This is the good news. That what we could never accomplish in ourselves has been done for us through the work of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20, Paul's like, we implore you. This is a big deal. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the new passion that God will give us. That as we go out into the world as his ambassadors, we call people to be reconciled to God. Remember what this is. Remember what we're calling people to. This is an invitation to a brand new story. Where people are no longer living for themselves, but living for Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to a new identity. That the old has gone. The new has broken in through Christ. And the motivation that we have is because the first love of Christ compels us. That we have a burden for people who are lost. That we're centered in the love of Jesus Christ for us. That we want to share it with others. I was honestly having a hard time thinking of how to wrap up this sermon. And originally we were going to have Miguel come before the message. Uh, But kind of at the last minute, I thought it would be very appropriate to invite him up to kind of conclude the sermon. Miguel is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He grew up as a little boy in Chile. Uh, His family struggled financially. Um, He became a compassion-sponsored child. And... uh, 
I think he'll share. It's not about the poverty that made the difference for him. Uh, it's, it's Jesus Christ who, who made the difference. At a young age, he came to know Christ, and the story changed forever for his life. And he's traveling around the world, um, getting to speak and share his story and equip leaders uh, to be future ambassadors for Jesus. And I don't want to take too much of his thunder, right? The thunder, right? But I want to invite Miguel to come up now and to share his story and bless us with his testimony. Can we just welcome him? Morning. I was wondering, like, okay, when he's going to stop because I don't have any, anything else to say. Like, okay. Well, um, thank you again uh, for the invitation. Let me ask you one question. What do you, I mean, what's the first word that came to your mind when you hear the word poor? You don't have to tell me, but just think for a while. Like, what's the first adjectives or the three top ones that came to your mind when you hear the, the, the word poor? How you will describe the poor? Um, just think, you, you don't have to tell me out loud. Uh, we did these kind of questions when we speak all over the, I mean the, the U.S. and some other places. And uh, in the Western societies, the, the people usually say lack of. The first thing that they come to your mind is like lack of such and such. Second thing might be uneducated, perhaps, or sometimes they say dangerous, you know. But um, when you talk with the poor, uh, the reality is different. They think they self at all about themselves, and they define poverty more kind of a psychological, you know, point of view, or more kind of a spiritual thing, like oppression, like uh, they are discriminated, or they have lack of self-esteem, these kind of things. So I just want to start with that question, uh, because if you are living in poverty, as I was living in poverty, for instance, uh, and if you are Christian, you wonder, like, how you could be an ambassador of Christ, being poor. And my point is, like, if you think that somebody is less than somebody, you know, you will never be able to minister to that people because you are putting yourself up in that, peop in that position, if that makes sense. And that is kind of a, a first kind of, uh, my kind of introduction that I want to start with. Because um, it's really complicated sometimes when you are living in poverty and you hear the gospel, you see like, okay, so how I can become uh, an ambassador of Christ? So I was trying to tie in into the, the, the preaching thinking, like, okay, where's this going? And it's great. How, where are the application parts? And so let me, let me share three spheres uh, in which we can be ambassadors of Christ. Um, the first sphere, uh, as for my personal experience, is uh, family. Um, I, as Pastor was saying, I was uh, growing up in poor. I grew up in poverty. I, I, I grew up in Bolivia. <laughs> my father was from Chile. Um, my father was a refugee from Chile, so he fled to Bolivia uh, in the 50s with all this dictatorial process in, in going on Latin America. We live in a very small place. It was like four by four meters, would be like 12 by 12 feet, kind of the stage kind of thing. So seven people there. Um, we have two beds. Uh, our kitchen was kind of sort of in the corner kitchen kind of thing. <laughs> um, dear floor, we didn't have any running water. I was the running water. I had to run <laughs> every day for the water. So it was kind of, 
you know, we don't, we, when you live in this kind of situation, you don't realize that you are poor. It's like, you know, you just, the, the life just passed by and you are living in that kind of circumstances. I'm the oldest of five. So since I was very young, I have to learn how to, you know, work myself, like, you know, watching cars and watching cars. So since I was eight and, I mean, Christmas was the day that I have to receive my new shoes for the next year. Oh, my birthday was kind of a, you know, it was like such a, it, was, it wasn't anything, you know, it was a special meal or whatever. So I have to become uh, kind of a man since I was really a young age. So this is kind of the situation where I was living in. And, and of course, uh, I was uh, involved with Compassion International when I was around eight and a half years old. And I didn't know about the church. I didn't know about the organization. I didn't care anything. It was a kid. I just cared about the food, right? So because we were hungry all the time, and they say, oh, my mom's like, you should go to the church. She didn't say compassion because you don't see a big sign say compassion project. Well, can you just uh, see the local church? She said, like, so you go to the church. They have breakfast, free breakfast. I say, oh, great. So they have eggs and milk and all this good stuff. So I went with my siblings and my cousins. We were like 12 kids going to the church. And it was fun. So the time passed by, and I didn't get sponsored. And it was kind of a program of uh, breakfast kind of thing. And then uh, around two years, two and a half years, I was kind of in the, in the waiting list. I didn't know that, right? I'm just going to church, having breakfast three times per week. And then I get a sponsor. So in these two years of peer, I mean, these two, two years uh, time, um, I, I received Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was 12, kind of thing, 11, 12. I don't remember the date, as you remember here, right? Here, remember everything. You make a party for your, your birthday when you receive Jesus Christ. I didn't remember, but I remember um, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and 6. And I remember that we hear the story of Jesus uh, encouraging the people, and I was like, wow, I want this for my life. So I remember I went to my, my knees and my home, and I received Jesus Christ by myself, just there. So how I, uh, I realized that I received Jesus Christ because once I, I, I was reading to the scriptures the next day or something, it was totally different. It was like day and night. Before you were just reading stories in the Bible or whatever. But then when I read the Bible, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. I, 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 I learned more than 2,000 promises, you know, this way. And I say, like, I want this promise to come true in my life. And I start to live these principles in the Bible and guess what, are true. That's why I'm here right now. And it was a, a, a shift of paradigms for me. And my worldview changed totally, totally. I don't know how to explain, but it was so amazing how I, uh, I changed that, that uh, worldview. So how we can be ambassadors of Christ in our family? Because I was living out these kind of principles my siblings kind of wondered like, oh, he's kind of a good student and I was the older uh, the oldest of five, then my sibling come to church with me, then my mom become Christian, then my other siblings become Christian, and then all of a sudden we all start to go to church. And I don't want to sound as a cliche, right? It was in like two years. It was 13 years of prayer. Um, but in the Bible, it says, me as my home, we are going to serve the Lord, right? And also, I think it's not the pain of us, neither. You know, I mean, it's a process that God and the Holy Spirit, you know, has their own time to go 
and he will make it. So that was really interesting for me. And now all my, my, my relatives and my family are going to church. And that is, I mean, that's for me already amazing. The second spheres of influence or the, the spheres that we can be ambassadors for Christ um, is the community or the nation. I, I finished the high school very young when I was 16. Uh, then I went to college when I was 16 kind of thing. I got a, uh, I study a lot. <laughs> I study business administration. I, I went to, a, I was playing soccer. So I got a scholarship and I was playing soccer there. I finished a bachelor degree in business. Then I was working, helping my family, and then I studied another bachelor degree in commercial engineering. I don't know the translation of it. Um, then I did a master in international business, uh, in Bolivia and Paris, Spain. Um, so I want to make a point with that. So I, I kind of uh, uh, started to work in different good jobs, okay? So you have to bear with me. So in one time, I was working for eight years in these businesses and everything. So in one, in one occasion, I was invited to, to speak in some place in, I don't want to say the names, in one of these countries in Latin America. It was in Bolivia, it's another country. So they meet eight countries in this country, and it was kind of a political meeting. I wasn't political. I, was, I am not a politician, but they hired me to, you know, do the technical things, uh, allocating budgets and all this stuff. So make a long, to make a long story short, um, one of these days, this political meeting, it was a big thing. Uh, we have to allocate $96 million in a development bank. So they say, they came to me, one of these top vice ministers of my country, and they say, oh, Miguel, I'm so glad that you are here, and you know the reason that you are here, and say, yeah, you hire me. Don't be silly. You are a silly boy. We want to embrace you in this movement. Um, it was a kind of socialist new thing going on like four years ago, and we want to offer you this opportunity. So I say, oh, sure. But the opportunity was a bribe. It was a $2 million bribe. Uh, maybe it's not a lot of money here in the U.S., but for me it was like, oh, my gosh, this is really good. It's a lot of money, and, and I really need that because just two weeks before that I was in Europe trying to fundraising for a nonprofit that I started back home. So I have this, this crash of principles, of values, and I don't want to sound like a cliche again, right? It's really hard. I mean, it's $2 million deal. Uh, I don't know about you, right? But even if I hear Christian from my 12 years old, I was like, wow, this is really good. And it was legal, you know, because they were top people. They say everything's fine. You, it was okay. Fast forward, I say no. And they insult me. They say a lot of things. And you can answer those questions, Christians. They say, uh, who do you think you are? They say, who is going to realize? They say, there's no authority beyond us. And those kind of questions trigger in my heart. It was like, wow. So I went home really devastated. I was tired emotionally, socially, physically, spiritually. And, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it's so bad. I say, like, Lord, I think, you know, something is it's not right here. I think you should encourage me and I will be, you know, I feel so good, but I don't feel good. I mean, they insult me and I feel like even worse now. And one lesson I learned in this part is that people are watching us. You know, when they got, this guy came to me and he said, we have seen you, that you are teaching here, you are working here, you know these people and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, people are watching us. Even when you don't know, people are watching you. Second thing is that 
And what is your motivation, as, as Pastor was sharing? What is your motivation? Because if I would have the motivation of money, you know, I'm for sure I will accept that bribe. But if, when your motivation is so big and powerful and nicer and beautiful than the bribe, you know, there's no chance that you will go for the bribe. And I learned that, for instance, the opposite of fear is not courage, but it's trust. Because in that moment, I trust the Lord. And even though it was hard, even though if, I mean, if I say I courage, I will do it in my own strength, you know, but I didn't. So I just trust in the Lord and then he make his way. And two weeks after that, not two weeks, like three weeks after I come back home, I received two emails. Uh, one email, email was from the Netherlands that I received a grant for my project. It wasn't $2 million, <laughs> but it was the exact amount that I needed to start up the, 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 the foundation. Um, the second email was that I received a, a scholarship to study at Moody, Bible Institute here in Chicago. So it's just for me amazing, you know, how God is faithful. I have to offer my, my Isaac kind of thing, so he blessed me. And he, you know, I trust him and he came back and he honored his, you know, my faith. And it's really amazing. I, and, and for me, being here to represent this $2 million, you know, not because the economical return of it, but because I have this chance to, sh- to share about his testimony and to be an ambassador of Christ. The, the third uh, sphere uh, in which we can be uh, ambassadors of Christ is globally. You know, we are in 31st century, a guy speaking, you know, from Bolivia in your church. Most of you are Asian Americans. I mean, we are just a melting pot. You know, it's a flat world now, and it's amazing how we have access to go to different places. And I think it's really an amazing ch- uh, chance to, to serve worldwide. And God is, is blessing me with different opportunities to serve um, in different contexts, and I am part of different movements. And he's really humbling, you know. It's really humbling that when you are able to, uh, when you offer yourself to God and you say, okay, I don't live no longer myself, but I want to give everything to you. He will use you in, a way, in amazing ways that you, you will never imagine. And through all these years, um, I was working in development. Um, I was working in different organizations. And I was working with the poor uh, myself. And when I went to these poor areas where people lived with $300 per year, five kids, I realized that I wasn't poor at all. I, I, I I wasn't poor at all. I mean, of course I was poor. I, I have struggled thing, struggles, but I realized that, for instance, rich is not the people who have more money, but it's people who uh, live with less money, you know, or you are happy with less money. Or as West Stanford say, the opposite of poverty or it's not wealth, uh, it's enough. And I realized that I have more than enough in my own life. I have I mean, more than enough. I mean, if I count my blessings, I would say, wow, I'm so rich, you know. Even in my own country, you know, not just being here in the U.S. And when I came here to the U.S. the first time, 2006, I think, um, it was amazing. I mean, I was so impressed with the, the infrastructure, the whole, you know, um, education system. I mean, you can just drink water in the shower, literally, right? <laughs> and... It's just amazing. I mean, in the U.S., you have more, more than enough. And it's so, I mean, 
you were living this in this chance of uh, sorry we are living this uh, time of life that we can do amazing things we can be an ambassador of Christ not just in your family not just in your nation but also I think worldwide and I think the U.S. is so blessed it's so affluent and I didn't want to share kind of a story of guilty to make you you know complain for to sponsor kids with compassion but I just want to encourage you you know I mean as Pastor Jerry was saying we're ambassador of Christ you know we're a new creation we have new faith we have new power uh, in the scriptures and and it's up to us how we want to be used by God and when you just lean to God and you get close to him, he will get close to you too, as John, uh, James say. So I just want to encourage you, and if you have the chance, and if you're a sponsored child with compassion, uh, I want to thank you. And if you are not, I encourage, encourage you to do it. And also, if you want to get involved with the projects that you might be doing ministry uh, in Bolivia, get involved. I mean, do something, you know, because God is going to back up and is going to be with you. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> stay up here. Just stay up here. You gotta stay here. It, it really is a, a blessing. I met Miguel only a few weeks ago, and uh, the fact that our church is moving forward in Bolivia, uh, to have him come is a, a great gift and, and privilege. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. And I think the thing that I'll remember is just as ambassadors of Christ to be humble. Uh, that's really God's story that he's writing for us. We haven't done anything to deserve this. It's by his grace alone. And um, I want to invite uh, Miguel's fiance to come up, Heather. Um, so they're getting married in August, and uh, August 25th is coming up. You guys stressed out at all? Or, I don't know, not at all. Okay. Yeah. And then they're actually moving back to Bolivia, Cochabamba, right? Which is in the center of the country. The nicer part, okay. <laughs> so our church, we're, we're doing work in La Paz, El Alto. How far away is that from Cochabamba? Seven hours, drive. Seven hours driving. Okay, okay. So we don't know what, what God's going to do here, but the fact that they're in Bolivia, even though they're not in the same area that we'll be working in, who knows uh, what God has planned for this relationship. So I just want to pray for them and kind of close out the message. But thank you again for sharing and, and being with us today. So let's pray together for Miguel and Heather. God, we do thank you for just what a, a grand privilege it is to be your children. Uh, to have this new story, this new identity in Christ. Uh, that our salvation is taken care of, God. Uh, that we belong to you. And now, God, we have the privilege of representing you in this world. And I pray, God, that we would not take that lightly. Uh, we would feel the sense of responsibility. Uh, but also, God, that we would feel and know the empowering of your spirit. Because uh, we don't work in our own strength or by our own effort. It, it's through your strength, God, and your power. And so, God, we ask that you would come once again upon our church uh, and give us that new passion uh, to make you known in this world, a new passion to reach out to others in the name of Jesus, a new burden to see people who are lost and struggling. And God, we thank you so much for Miguel and Heather, uh, for their story, God, 
for just how you've changed Miguel's life, how he knows you now. And as a couple, how they are doing ministry for you all around the world, and specifically in Bolivia, God. We pray for them in this season of preparation for marriage, God. We thank you that you brought them together. Um, We pray that you would give them peace and joy as they prepare for their wedding day that you would just build the foundation of their relationship and their marriage early on, that they would be strong in Christ together as a couple. And I pray, God, that you continue to unfold the plans you have for them uh, to be your representatives in this world. As they go back to Bolivia, God, I pray that you would uh, continue to build this foundation that Miguel started, uh, to equip leaders, to raise up, more Bolivians to know you and to lead this nation forward in the ways of Christ and not the ways of this world. And so, God, we're so grateful for this new friendship, God, and we just would ask that you would bless it, uh, that you would reveal how we can partner together in the future. But, God, thank you for your grace and love and how you've sought us out. Uh, Thank you that we have a story to tell based on what you've done in our lives and give us boldness and courage as we go out into this world. That we would not be afraid, that we not be paralyzed by guilt, uh, but would find our strength rooted in the first love of Jesus Christ for us. We pray this together as a community in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.